welcome everyone to the continuation of the exposition of the book of Romans. We are Romans chapter 8. Today we will be covering verses 16 and 17. If you have your Bibles, please stand for the reading of God's word. The inerrant word of God reads as follows, Romans 8, beginning in verse 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word this morning, which we need. Like the psalm says, as a deer pants for water, Lord, may our soul thirst for you, for your word. We ask, Lord, that you would speak to us through your word by the power of the Holy Spirit, which bears witness of us today that we are your children, that we would be granted understanding of what it means to be children and heirs of God. We ask these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. I've titled today's sermon, Heirs with Christ. Or what is an, what is an heir? I'll give you a few examples of recent history. In the late 70s, 70s Clarissa Dickinson Wright, famous British TV star, who was fairly well off already, received an inheritance of around 2.8 million British pounds upon the death of her mother. On the other hand, Maureen O'Connor was a respected figure in the political arena. She married Robert Peterson, who was the founder of Jack in the Box. Any of you knew? I actually didn't know. That's why I find out when I was looking up people who received large inheritances. When her husband died, Maureen received an inheritance valued at over $50 million. One last example, Huntington Hartford II. It's an individual who grew up extremely wealthy. Upon the death of his father, he inherited $90 million, given that his father had a chain of grocery stores across the country. In these three examples, we see that these heirs had something in common. They inherited a large amount of wealth upon the death of a relative. And secondly, I specifically picked those three examples because those three examples have been cases that have another thing in common, large inheritances, and despite of receiving all those riches, not only for themselves, but even generations to come in their families. Each of them squandered the inheritance and ended up with nothing to show for it. Squandered the inheritance. In today's passage, we are told that Christians have received an inheritance. We too have received an inheritance. Part of that inheritance is something that we can enjoy now as Christians. Many of us could be saying, well, I would much rather have received an inheritance like those people you just mentioned did. For some reason, God has not allowed us to receive, at least not to me or any of you that I know closely, right? 
in his sovereignty, God decided for us not to receive a large amount of wealth. That's an inheritance. So the question for us today as Christians, as we look at this passage, is the following. Christian, do you know that you have received an inheritance? And could it be that with that inheritance we've received from God, we are being bad stewards of that inheritance? Like the three examples I just mentioned, are we even squandering the inheritance we received? This is a theme throughout Scripture that to him who receives from God, much is expected from God. The concept of being a good steward. One of the parables that the Lord Jesus gave, one of the punchlines is this, Matthew 25, 21, speaking of faithful stewards, Jesus says this, His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Today, let us ask ourselves this question as Christians. Have we entered the joy of our master? Perhaps if we're honest, it's kind of a burden to think about occupying ourselves with the things of God. To serve a church, maybe to congregate. Are we enjoying entering into our inheritance, entering into the kingdom of our master? Or is it a burden for us? We're also going to be seeing here that the inheritance we received, if we are Christians, is a done deal. It's not something we need to work for. Okay? And we're going to see what some signs and effects of being true heirs entail. In being heirs of God through what Christ has done. So what are Paul's main point in this sermon? By the way, uh, as I go through the series in Romans and I explain what the point of the passage is, please understand that it could be explained in many different ways, right? So somebody may be questioning, like, why didn't you talk about this? It is that the scripture is so rich that I have to pick something, right? And I typically seem to pick what is most obvious in reading the text and explaining it doing the exposition of the passage. Okay, So there may be something at times that you think that it's not mentioned. Uh, it's, I'm, I may have missed it, of course, but it's uh, not intentional if, if that slips through the cracks. So in this particular passage, what we're going to take as Paul, Paul's main point is the following. Christians are given an inheritance. It's not earned. It's not worked for. We are given an inheritance. And the road to enjoy that inheritance in its ultimate sense is not here yet, but in getting there will include suffering. Suffering. Okay? So let's get to it. The focus of the sermon will be, first of all, before I move to the, the three points of the sermon, what we're not talking about here when we say that we're going to suffer is that, well, then I need to go and do some penance. So that I'm worthy of receiving the benefits of my inheritance. No. That's not, what we're that's not what we're talking about. I need to suffer so that God will accept me. Please understand that's not what we mean. Okay? We will see how being heirs of God is something that is effectuated by God. Just like in the examples that we heard a minute ago about receiving a large inheritance of, of wealth. 
upon someone's death. The inheritance we receive is possible because of the death of him who owns everything. Upon the death of Christ. Because of that we are beneficiaries of the richness that Christ brings. The one who has planned this inheritance is God. Okay? It's not something that we thought of and now, like, how can I become part of the club? No, we didn't plan none of that. And the one who has already suffered for us to become partakers of that inheritance is also Christ. The Holy Spirit will then make us persevere to the end so that as we go through the life of the Christian in sanctification and suffering and trials and tribulations. Our triune God is at work. He is the giver of all things so that we become ultimately glorified with Christ. So as we explore these truths, these are the three points we're going to be focusing on. First, the fact is, we learned in this passage, that the Holy Spirit is witness of our sonship. The Holy Spirit bears witness. Secondly, the implication is that if we have sonship with God, we are children and heirs of God with Christ. That's the implication. And then, what is the actual experience going to look like? Ultimately, it will be glorification. Okay? Just as Christ died, went to the grave, resurrected in a glorified manner, and it is now in glory. My friends, that, that is exciting. Remember that the truth of the hope of the Christian is not only in the spiritual realm. It is primarily in the spiritual realm. We're going to see this here shortly. But it also involves a physical aspect to it. We will have resurrected bodies of whom Christ is the firstborn. Okay? He is the first one to be completely glorified in a body of flesh and bones. Alright, so let us take a a look at the first one there. The Holy Spirit bears witness of our sonship. Romans 8.16, as the first verse today, it says, The Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Okay? Spirit himself bears witness. So this is talking about God the Holy Spirit. Okay? This is a personhood of the Holy Spirit. The, Spirit. the Holy Spirit is not a force. It's not an idea. It's not a... Uh, magical being. The Holy Spirit is God himself. He's the third person of the Trinity. Throughout Romans chapter 8 here, we're hitting the 16th and 17th verse of it today. We have been reminded of the identity that we have in Christ. So I've listed a quick summary of what that is. For the Christian, here it is, our identity includes no condemnation. There is therefore no condemnation in Christ. Then we see that for the Christian, there is freedom in Christ as to no longer being slaves of sin. We are told that as Christians, we are walking in the spirit and not in the flesh. As Christians, we are told that God lives in us. Got the Father, got the Son, and got the Holy Spirit. Those verses in Romans, verses 9, 10, and 11, chapter 8, attest to that truth. God lives in us. The triune God lives in us. And then we are told 
in verse 12 that as Christians we are debtors not to the flesh to keep being a slave to the flesh but rather we are debtors to be obedient to God and then we are told that as Christians we are sons of God by adoption that's where brother James preached last week so building up to the point we are today this is our identity as Christians it's not for everybody okay Talk about discrimination. God discriminates. Absolutely he does. Now, the concept we have when we hear that word, it's like, wait a minute, that discrimination is bad. No, it's not. Especially if God does. God has his people, those are people of God, children of God, and then there are everybody else. Okay? This applies for the children of God. So knowing that, that's our identity as Christians, Paul says, because God the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The first idea then here is that connection we have with God is primarily spiritual. John 4.24 says this when Jesus is talking to the woman at the well. He says, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. All worship is spiritual, okay? Let's get that clear. Whether there's somebody in a pagan religion, somebody in a cult, someone who has even been misguided into some form of crazy twist in Christianity, everyone doing worship is doing it spiritually. But not all worship is true. Okay? John 14, 6, Jesus famously said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes through the Father except through me. So worship is spiritual. That is how we establish a connection of God the Holy Spirit with our dead spirit that becomes alive. So if we claim we know God, the only true way to know that to know the true God is through the person, through the work of Jesus Christ. This leaves out any and all so-called connections with God. That's the end of it. Okay? Want to argue with that? Argue with God. I'm just telling you what Jesus said, what the scripture attests to. There's no wiggle room. Okay, so our connection with God is primarily spiritual. And then we know that the Holy Spirit brings assurance that we are children of God, right? He brings witness that we, he bears witness that we are true children of God. Why is this important? Have you ever doubted your salvation? I have. I know that I have. And if I'm even more honest, not too long ago. Is it not true that we are quick to doubt the things of God? That we perhaps are not children of God? Especially if we are backsliding or if we are stuck in the sin? How can God accept someone as filthy, as unfaithful as me? Am I the only one who's had those thoughts? How can we be sure in such doubt? My brothers and sisters, let us be reminded this morning that we cannot bear witness to ourselves. We cannot trust ourselves, our wicked heart, deceiving us. Especially in times of weakness, when we know we need God's mercy, and yet we're doubting ourselves. We can't bear witness to ourselves. 
We cannot depend on ourselves to assure ourselves of our salvation. We must have rest in the one who has redeemed us. That assurance then comes from God the Holy Spirit himself, bearing witness with us. Now, this does not come by way of emotion, nor by physical means. Right? Our spiritual relationship with God is primarily spiritual. Now, there's nothing wrong with emotion so long as it is an expression of the truth that we get from Scripture. I've seen when God convicts someone of sin, including myself, and I'm able to experience God's mercy and grace upon my life. You better believe that produces emotion. But it's not emotionalism. Okay? That is a response and worship to the goodness and the faithfulness of God. So it is not emotionalism. Rather, God gives us the assurance through His Holy Spirit that we belong to Him. We are led by the Spirit. We understand spiritual things. The first one of those, knowing that we are lost and we need God. That itself is not something that we come up with on our own. And then we strive to grow in character, to become more and more like Christ. Showing growth in the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22 But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control. Against such things there is no law. That is basically our guide. Are we Christians? Are we walking in our sanctification? It's like, okay, let me see which one of those things I need to work on. And then all of a sudden I check all of them, right? I need to work on all of them. Yep. Okay. The understanding that we need to align ourselves to those things is the fact that the Holy Spirit is bearing witness, is convicting us that we are not okay even if we are Christians, that we are aligning ourselves. And the Holy Spirit has also sealed us upon us believing the gospel. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. In Him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance, there it is, until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of His glory. So I've been, as we have been adopted by God to be His children, the price of our souls has been paid by the work of Christ. Let us remember that the payment, the work has been done. Okay? Picture this as when somebody buys a house, it has been bought, it's a done deal, it belongs to that person, but a full move has not occurred. Okay? So, is it, so it is with us. In the here and now, we have been bought at a price. However, there's still the not yet. There's more to come as our acquisition involves eternal life. Okay? The kingdom has started, we have entered the kingdom of God into his family, into his people. But this is, this is just the start of it. Okay? The next chapter, which is in the, in the age to come, when Christ comes back, that's where the real, if you want to say, the real show begins in our glorified state. 
Right now, we are still living in this present fallen age. So then, the Holy Spirit bears witness of us being children of God. That is the fact that is presented in the text today. We cannot depend on ourselves to bear witness to ourselves. That is something that the Holy Spirit does in our lives. So then, let's talk about the implication of being children of God and heirs. When we say heir, right, we've seen a couple examples, but what do we really mean? We could say, I'm, I'm an heir, like I have this thing from, like, I have nothing, right? What can easily come to the thought that, I, I mean, this is not really going to help me, like I need, I need real solutions here, right? Romans 8, 17, the first half of that verse says, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. The word that Paul is using here to describe someone who is an heir is the following. From one of the Bible dictionaries in my resources, it says this. An heir is a person who is entitled by law or by the terms of a will to inherit the estate of another. Let us notice here. The concept here of being entitled to something. Now, we live in a generation that we're, we're all about entitlements. These are my rights. What am I going to get? If I'm not getting what I deserve, what I think is my right, I'm going to protest. Right? Entitlement. My rights. We are quick to claim what we are owed. However, let us be cautious to realize that the inheritance from God to us is not something we are entitled to because of something we did or something we deserve. No. God does not owe you or me anything. Our demands cannot be towards God to tell him, give me your inheritance or give me salvation. If you think you are owed anything by God, that would be an indication that you do not understand the gospel of grace. That God has given us what we don't deserve, namely forgiveness because of what Christ has done, and reconciliation through faith and repentance of our sins. So the word here then, being used of Paul when he says heirs as children of God, it means being entitled not by our demands or because we are owed something for deserving it, but we are entitled by law or by the terms of a will to inherit the estate of another. That's the key. Something that belonged to somebody else. Somebody else gained it, worked for it, and we, by the law of a testament, this is very legal terms, we are the recipients of it to inherit the estate of another while deserving nothing. We are being, being given an inheritance which is the estate, the wealth, the riches of someone else. We are being given what Christ has earned. Alright, so let's peel that back a little bit. First, our inheritance includes God's mercy and forgiveness of our sins. And that was earned by Christ, by His obedience. Ephesians 2 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which 
He loved us even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Someone who is abundantly rich in mercy gave us this inheritance. God has given us mercy. Secondly, our inheritance includes being given the righteousness of God in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake he made him to be sin when you know sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The righteousness of Christ being given to us. Thirdly, our inheritance includes the promise that had been given to Abraham. Galatians 3.29 says, And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. There it is. Heirs according to promise. And that is fleshed out a little bit more with the context in Ephesians 3.6. It says, This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. We are children of Abraham, meaning we are children of God. We are God's true people, the church of the living God. The promise that was given to Abraham has been fulfilled. And we are drafted in. That's part of our inheritance, becoming the people of God, adopted. That's, I mean, when the Jewish people hear this, that's crazy talk, right? And this is a large group of who Paul's talking to. The Jewish population, and even uh, believers in Orthodox Judaism today. This, this is absolutely insane to them. That we are the true Israel. The true people of God is the church of Christ. That is part of our inheritance. And then one more here. Our inheritance includes ultimately eternal life and God himself. Titus 3.7 So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Oh man, this is great stuff. Heirs of eternal life. So then what is the experience? How do we ultimately get there? Because we're, we're not there yet, right? We have been given, but we're not there. And we know we're not there yet, right? Just look around at some of the experiences we've had. And things are not good sometimes, right? What is the experience? That's our, our third point here. Glorification will come, but not without suffering. Okay? Let us read Romans 8.17 again, now in, in its full. And if children then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. My friends, the life of a Christian is one of joy, knowing that the worst thing that could happen to a human being is not happening to us. What is that? Death? Well, we're all going to die. So we're still right there leveled with non-believers. However, the worst thing that can happen to a person is not to die. Remember what Jesus said. 
Fear not him who can kill the body and nothing else. Fear him who after killing the body can toss you into hell. We are spared from that. That cannot happen to a Christian. The Christian is an inheritor of God's promises to live with God and with the family of God ultimately forever. Now the path there is a path of trials and tribulations, testings and sufferings. And friends, if anyone has told you that the life of a Christian is a cakewalk and that God only wants you to be healthy and rich and smiling all the time, they have presented to you a false gospel. Time and time again, God makes it clear in his word that his children will experience tribulation. But we also experience the promise that God is with us and that he has overcome the world. So in short, my friends, there's no false advertising in the true presentation of the gospel. God is holy. We are sinful. We are headed straight for condemnation. But God, being so gracious and being rich in mercy, saves us for his sake because of who he is. Because he desires to extend salvation, adoption as sons into his family. It is God who does that. Philippians 1.29 reads as follows. For it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ. You should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Granting belief. There it is. Granting. Yes. Yes. Becoming part of the family of God. And then come and suffer with us. Oh, no. Both put together. 2 Corinthians 1.7 Our hope for you is unshaken for we know that as you share in our sufferings you will also share in comfort in the fold of God in the people of God in the church of God we share both our comfort and our suffering yes we encourage each other yes we bear each other's burdens there's also great comfort. Is there not? Is there not comfort in knowing that we are amongst the family of God? That we come along each other? That we pray for each other? That we love each other? That we help each other? That we encourage each other? That we call each other out if we are stepping out of bounds with the Word of God? There's comfort to that, but there's also suffering. And one more verse in the same context. Acts 14, 21 and 22. Talking about the apostles when they were being persecuted. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Through many tribulations you will enter the kingdom of God. This is the way the gospel was being preached by the apostles. So beware then if we hear a gospel message presented to us 
that primarily focuses that you should come to God so you can be happy or they should trust Christ so that your life could be better or any variation thereof. No. Scripture tells us that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. No wonder then that Jesus said that the path that leads to destruction is like a parade. Right? Next time you see a so-called pride parade, street white. That's such as a way that leads to destruction. And Jesus says, but the road to eternal life is, think of it like a single file line, narrow, and few are those who find it. Now, to our human flesh, which path is more desirable? The popular path, where everything seems to be good, and I'm accepted no matter what I do, no matter what I say, or no matter what I don't do or don't say. The easy path is not the way of tribulation. Nevertheless, that is what leads to the final result for the Christian. Glorification with Christ. Let us read Romans 8, 17 again. And if children then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. My Christian friend, know that as Christ died and rose from the dead, he rose in a glorified state and is now seated on the throne. In a similar manner, you will one day rise from the dead and the body of perishable corruption will be turned into a glorified body that is imperishable, which corruption will have no effect. Enjoying the presence of God forevermore. Then we will fully know God and will finally experience what it's like to have ultimate fulfillment of our souls. In the here and now, we may be distracted, chasing after certain things, pleasures, acquisitions, respect, reputation, vices, what have you. As Christians, and even as non-believers, what we sometimes don't realize is that we really need, what we really need to fulfill our soul is Christ. We can experience some of that now, but ultimately, the full experience of that will be in the glorified state. When we are complete in body and soul, glorified with Christ. That's the hope of the Christian. So then, what are some reflections on today's passage? First, the question is, do you have an inheritance? Remember this promise of receiving an inheritance? Just as when a parent leaves an inheritance to their kids, it is not just for any kid that comes around. It's for their kids. A father leaves an inheritance for his kids. So do you have an inheritance from God? In other words, are you a child of God? If you are not, repent. Believe the gospel. Believe that Christ is the only Savior. 
that you can trust for forgiveness of sins and for reconciling with God. Secondly, if you are a Christian, you've been given an inheritance. What are you doing with your inheritance? What are you doing with your inheritance? Remember stewardship. Stewardship doesn't start when Christ returns and we are, no, that's, that's already, again, second phase, right, so to speak. What are you doing with your inheritance right now? Remember, Christ says you are being unfaithful with little. You will also be unfaithful if he gives you more. Being faithful to our inheritance starts at where we are now. With your resources, with your time, with your priorities, with your family, with your household. Are you managing your life as if you have an inheritance from God? Because you will give an account to God. What are you doing with your inheritance? And third, are you suffering? Are you suffering? The life of a Christian involves suffering. Suffering. We must enter the kingdom of God through tribulation. Now, that could come in many forms, right? Like being persecuted because we are Christians, suffering in that sense. Suffering, rejection because we are Christians in our families, in our environment, in our places of work, in our society, etc. There's certainly some of that, but we don't have it nearly as bad as other brothers and sisters have it right around the world. In that sense, we could suffer. And now there's a caution here, right, that some of the suffering that we're going through, not always, but many times, is actually a result of our own disobedience. A lot of the suffering that we go through is because we want to be independent, because we don't want to submit to the Word of God. We don't want to submit to the commandments of Christ. We go and we do as we please. We disobey the tenets that we know we should follow. What happens? We reap what we sow. And that causes suffering. Obviously, it doesn't mean that life is over. God will discipline you because He loves you. And you will suffer through it. And God will see you through it. So let us consider these things, my brothers and sisters. That we have received such a great inheritance from God. We have received reconciliation. We've been adopted into God's family. We are safe from condemnation. And we are looking forward to the glorified state that we are promised by the gospel of grace, which is basically all the broken pieces of our world, all the broken pieces of our lives will be restored and we will have ultimate fulfillment in Christ when we see him face to face in a glorified body like the one that he possesses. My friends, that day is coming. For some of us, maybe sooner than others when the Lord calls us home. Until then, 
May we be convicted of the responsibility and the stewardship of the inheritance that God has given us. That begins as an example for us and our parents, specifically those that are fathers. Are you teaching your children? Are you being a provider for your household? Are you leading your kids in the ways of the Lord? Are you treating your wife like a co-heir with you in Christ? The Bible talks about that. How are we doing that? For our younger children, are you acknowledging that you are under your parents' authority? Are you honoring your father and your mother? For our single people here, are you pursuing God? And are you, if you know you don't have the gift of being single, are you pursuing a relationship with a Christian woman? Right? That's some practical examples of how we can be good stewards of the inheritance we've been given. Because you have the resources to do that as believers and as adopted children of Christ. Let us consider those things then as we, by the power of the Holy Spirit, are persevering in our everyday walk. Let us pray. Lord God, please enable us, grant us repentance of sin so that we may be good stewards of the inheritance that has been given to us as your children. If you have adopted us as your children, remind us that we can rest in all that you have given us as inheritance. That is peace with you in knowing that we will be with you eternally. Lord, give us perspective and strength through your Holy Spirit in this evil age that we can become witnesses to the world of your goodness and be faithful. Lord, and for those that do not have an inheritance, that are not your children, may you grant them repentance unto salvation. For that is a work of the Spirit that only you can do, Lord. And yet, may you use us as instruments to bring others into your fold. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.